0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Good morning animal people and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewlett and I thank you for waking up early and starting your day here. I always make sure I track down guests that you, the listeners, want to hear about, so if there's a topic or a guest that you'd like us to present, be sure to email us at petplaceradio at gmail.com. One topic I get lots of emails about is that of animal rights and whether or not we should give rights to animals. The thing about that is, we humans are just animals ourselves, though most of us don't see it that way. So for us to globally decide which sentient beings have rights and which ones don't is just plain silly, at least to me. Just by virtue of being here on Earth, one has rights. Unfortunately, mankind seems to deny rights at every opportunity and comes up with justifications for why that's so. Most of us just turn a blind eye to the fact that we cause millions of animals to suffer and die each year. But one person who is trying hard to open everyone's eyes is Liz Marshall, who has spent a good chunk of her life working to end cruelty in farms, the fur industry, and research laboratories, among other places, that we put far from our thoughts. She is a passionate person who has lots to say and is doing so much with a new feature film documentary. Then, after our halftime break, our old pal Marianne Dell will be reviewing a new batch of animal-related books, and she has picked out some great new titles. So don't touch that dial, and we'll begin after a quick message from KJAZZ 88.1 FM. (laughs) Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on KJAZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewlett, and with me now is Liz Marshall. Good morning, Liz. I'm so happy you could join us today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, you are a pretty amazing person. I was reading all about you online, and I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit
2: about yourself and also what you do. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a documentary filmmaker, and for most of my career, I have focused on social, global issues. Um, And what I like to do, what makes sense the most to me as a filmmaker, is to ground those big, complex issues um, in a human narrative. Um, So, for instance, with The Ghosts in Our Machine... That's your new movie. That's my new movie. Okay. Uh, Joanne MacArthur, photographer, is the protagonist. So I like to work with big moral questions. I like to present moral questions in my work and to do so in a way that invites people to watch and to consider. Um, and so it's it's never an easy task. It, it It's always an epic undertaking to you know, uh, develop a project and then really commit yourself wholeheartedly to the process of getting it off the ground and, and and you know, a feature-length documentary like The Ghosts in Our Machine and like my last film, Water on the Table, um, that is usually a big chunk, like maybe three, four years wow. of just, you know, full immersion.
1: How did you get involved in
2: all of this? Well, it goes back to... Um, I like to, you know, when I'm asked that question, I I think it's a great question, and it forces me to kind of try to figure that one out for myself because often I think we just follow, you know, a door opens or something, you know, um, we just sort of follow a path that unfolds along the way. And I think when I realized, oh, okay, I'm actually focusing on these big global issues. That was back in early 2000 when I was working with War Child Canada as their media director, and I was making a film um, about war-affected children in, in, war-affected, uh, you know, in war zones. Okay. And um, anyways, so f- since then, uh, it just has felt like the right path for me to, to be on.
1: That's wonderful. And your latest documentary, *The Ghosts in Our Machine*, focuses on animals in our society and how mistreated they are, and how everybody sort of turns a blind eye to that. And and your photographer, the person that you focus on, has gone around for many years, taking documenting via film the atrocities in farms, in research labs, in mink farms, and, and really makes people look at what's going on and, and seeing the sentience in the eyes of these animals, you know, hours or days before they're, they're killed. And it, it's, it's pretty hard to watch, but I don't know how you did it, actually, because it was hard for me to watch one time. <laughs> I can't imagine you spending years putting this together.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the animal issue is so hidden from our view, Uh, and it's something that there's a social resistance. Um, There's a big social resistance to it, so that makes it even more challenging. I think Um, the
1: thing that really bugs me is a lot of people assume that anybody who is an animal advocate is a crazy person, and they don't take them seriously. Which amazes me because anybody who has a dog or a cat as a pet and who loves that pet and realizes that they have a personality, that they're not just a lump of clay, should also recognize that all of these other animals that we torture and mutilate and kill every year have those same feelings, those same fears, those same hopes and and yet they're so easy it's so easy for them to say yeah but i'm i'm not going to change my ways I, I don't care and it doesn't matter that's just Well the way you know
2: it is. i i think that most people do care and i think that we wear blinders i think that we somehow we're conditioned socially to culturally to wear blinders and so either people are either willfully ignorant or they really are in the dark about what's going on. And so the purpose of The Ghosts in Our Machine is to be that consciousness-raising aha kind of film where people have that moment of true or deeper awareness Mm -hmm. and where blinders can be removed. Do you you ever
1: feel, though, that the people who watch your movies are already on the bandwagon with you and
2: the people who really uh, need to see it aren't
1: watching it? (laughs)
2: There are a lot of our followers on Facebook, social media, people that come to the movie. Um, of course, a lot of those people already care, and they you know we like to call them our champions. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they're advocates um, across the spectrum or whether they're vegan activists, um, we have you know um, a global following for the film, and it's such a loyal, passionate. Um, committed community I, I'm really always incredibly moved and impressed uh, by them all but the the intent of the movie is to reach a broader audience um, and to widen the demographic okay. so I think we're hitting our mark because you know for instance here in Canada we've been booked in 11 cities and theaters And having a theatrical release is never easy for a documentary.
1: I know, I know. That's always very hard. It's usually just in festivals, isn't it?
2: It's usually just in festivals, or uh, it goes straight to the grassroots, and it misses sort of broadcasters and and theaters and things like that. We are trying to take a more traditional route as sort of a first tier of distribution, Um, and we don't have a big studio behind us. Uh, like a big marketing distribution muscle behind us, so we're you know doing a lot of this ourselves, and you know we are getting a lot of mainstream and alternative press uh, covering uh, the, the movie. Oh, that's which fabulous! Is really great.
1: Congratulations! And it is
2: reaching a broader audience. It's it's being accepted into some pretty big film festivals, and. Um, you know, there's people that have come to the theater and that have said, "Wow, you know, thank you so much for making this film. I didn't know half of the things that go on." And I have a lot to reflect a- I have a lot to reflect on, you know, and and that for us is a victory because it's really designed it's been very carefully designed to be a gentle film about a very dramatic subject. And without uh, watering it down and without compromising, you know, that was the biggest preoccupation for me in mm-hmm. the edit suite, in the field, as the director, just trying to find that balance. Okay, and, and
1: I think you did. I mean, there were some beautiful scenes. One of my favorite is when the photographer went into the farm sanctuary and and she went into a barn with a number of cows, and they all seemed really excited to see her. And she went over to start petting one and he put his or she rather, she put her head up in the air and, and just kind of snuggled into the photographer and was just so happy that she was there. It was remarkable. I was I was just moved. That's all I can <laughs> say. Moved. <laughs> Sorry I can resist. <laughs> My producer is just shaking his head at me right now. <laughs>
2: Well, you know what? having um inter interlacing uh, throughout the film moments like that that are that are sweet or that have levity, that have beauty and that really illuminate animal sentience mm-hmm. um, was really the key in trying to find that balance, so that you know on one hand, we're bearing witness to the machine, quote unquote, which is obviously a metaphor for the industry at large. Um, but then we're also we're also um, immersed or, or dwelling in an empathic sort of uh, point of view, which is Joanne MacArthur as the human protagonist. We're, we're seeing the world through her photographic lens and, and through her vision of the world. So we're meeting these animals, and we get to know them, and they have names and stories. And I think for, for a lot of people, it's the first time that they're really ever seeing animals treated like that mm-hmm. in a documentary, uh, although I'm sure there's lots of documentaries that do that. Um, so that's what I'm really proud of as well.
1: And you're right, you did show a balance. There were some scenes that were very hard to take, and and I've seen scenes like this in, in many other documentaries where they just show one shocking, horrible thing after another to to basically force you into changing your ways, as opposed to showing those really horrible, gruesome scenes in combination with showing what these animals are like if they have a chance to live a life where they can grow and, and become the personalities that they are like on farm sanctuary where you see all these beautiful beautiful animals that are frolicking and and living in space and being treated well and then then you see the converse of of animals that are going off to slaughter and then the actual horrible situation that they are in when they do get slaughtered I mean it's just talk about 180 degrees and and some of that's very hard to take but I'm so glad that you were able to to find that balance and because I think it's important for people to see that these aren't just stupid animals that don't have personalities. These are animals yeah. that if allowed to live a life that they've
2: been given, they blossom. They blossom, and they're uh, individuals, actually. Um, you know, I had never formed a friendship with a cow before making this movie, and I'm very urban, I've grown up in the in the city of Toronto um most of my life I've lived in the city so you know in making the film the rescue of Fanny and Sonny um at Farm Sanctuary I got to know them over the course of you know over a year two years I've I've known them now well, and that's
1: wonderful Luke. they are
2: so sweet and they're so different from each other
1: I bet they are. Every animal is different, just like every human being is different. We're all yeah. animals. Liz, where can somebody uh, find out more about your, your your movie? Do you have a okay. website?
2: Um, well, um, we always encourage people to go to our website, which is www.theghostinourmachine.com. Notice the hour. It's not the machine. It's our machine. Okay. Um, very uh, deliberate in that title. Um, and our machine meaning, of course, that we're, you know, it's, we're meant to reflect on our how we're complicit in this system, how we use animals.
1: And I hope all of our listeners will stop yeah. by there today. Thank you so much for coming by the Pet Place.
2: We have, uh, can I say one more thing? Okay. Or did we run out of time? We are out of time, but go ahead. Oh, sorry. So okay. okay. Um, we're releasing the film theatrically in New York and L.A., in oh, November. great. Fantastic. So, yeah, so our New York uh, lo- release date, our opening night, is at the Village East Cinema on November 8th, and we have a one-week run, and then in L.A. on November 15th uh, at the Lemley Music Hall.
1: Well, thank you so much for stopping by the Pet Place. But we do need to take a very quick break now. And when we return, Marianne Dell has a brand new batch of animal-related books that she can't wait to talk about. So stay put, and we'll get started after an important message from KJAZZ 88.1 FM. Music. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show, and my old pal, Marianne Dell, is joining me now. Good morning, Marianne. How was your Halloween? Oh, it was just great. How about yours, Marie? Not too bad. Did you dress your dogs up this year?
0: Only for the contest that I judge. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I try not to make them go through that, because they don't really appreciate it.
1: Oh, they're the type that gets humiliated, aren't they? Yes,
0: particularly jitterbug. (laughs) Oh she thinks it's beneath her.
1: Aww. And it probably is. I saw the cutest picture that got circulated this year. It was a dog that looked like a giant spider. And it was the coolest costume. He had these big furry legs coming out from his sides. Was and he a chow?
0: Yes, he Yes, does. I've seen that picture. Isn't it wonderful?
1: <laughs> Dest- <laughs> Dog costume ever,
0: i got to say.
2: <laughs> I know. Well,
0: we had on the pet section this past week, we had some doggy costumes. I don't know if you got a chance to see those, but it was quite fun doing that. Ah, very <laughs>
1: cool. You know, I know that you do a lot of pet behavior, and I'm going to ask you a question that's not related to books before we get started on your reviews. Okay. Our producer, Mike Johnson, has a Jack Russell Terrier who... Thanks. Bark, bark, barks at opossums and other little animals during the night, and he doesn't know how to make her stop that. (laughs) Any
0: ideas? (laughs) Well, the first thing he should realize is he has a dog who is bred specifically to chase down and tell his owners or her owners about varmints like possums. So the little girl is really just doing what comes naturally. She's trying to do her job. Um, If he doesn't appreciate it, which I can totally understand, and I'm sure his neighbors don't either, (laughs) um, I'm going to assume that being a good pet parent, he keeps her inside. Yes, he does. So that probably limits the neighbor.
1: It's just she has supersonic
0: hearing, Mm -hmm. and
1: with his double-paned windows, she could even hear the little guys outside.
0: (laughs) Yeah, isn't that wonderful? My dogs do that too.
1: (laughs) Since she's probably
0: waking him up from a sound sleep,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I would try a couple of different things. He could try seeing if perhaps she might enjoy sleeping in a crate at night if she doesn't already do so.
1: Okay, and that would she does not.
0: Okay, that would take a little bit of acclimation. He makes. Wants to make the crate be a fun thing, so it'll take a couple of days. Feed her inside, put her in there with some stuffed kongs or other kinds of goodies for dogs, making the
1: whole crate experience fun and exciting. Absolutely. Okay. He can play games of putting her
0: in there and having her stay, and then releasing her and playing a game of tug or fetch, and then get her back in there and then have her wait for a couple seconds and let her out and get her back in and just have the whole thing be really fun. Okay. And then once she's used to a crate, being in a crate, being in a confined area might mitigate the barking somewhat. He can also cover it. You know, you want to leave breathing area, but he can cover it with some heavy blankets um, on most of the sides and position it in such a way that she's far away from the windows as far as possible. Okay. Um, If he doesn't want to go the crate route, he could, when she wakes him up, immediately wake himself up, and we all know how possible that is at 2 or 3 in the morning, (laughs) and get her otherwise engaged and reward her for otherwise engaging with him. Play with a toy, uh, have her do some quick little obedience things, sit down down, roll over, give me a paw, reward her for those, and he might be able to, after some time, have the appearance of the opossums cue her into, oh boy, it's time to start performing. Now, he might get some...
1: Although, that might be just as bad at two in the morning if she's switching her behavior from barking to saying, hey dad, time to play. That's
0: what I was going to (laughs) say. He may get that behavior. And, okay. and you could move from that behavior into we're going to do some nice down stays. We're going to gradually increase the time of the downstays until you're staying for, oh, five, ten minutes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And quite possibly we can then have the possum's parents have her translate into, okay, I'm going to downstay and be quiet. It's a tough
1: one. Yeah, definitely.
0: It, you know, when you've got a dog doing what comes naturally, it's
1: really tough. Well, that was a huge left turn on our book reviews, so <laughs> I do want to get at least one of them in, so let's start yeah, with that. Yeah, but Marie,
0: we're out of time now. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that was the voice of Mike Johnson, yeah. our producer, <laughs> who's thanks, been busily writing this down. <laughs> Oh, boy. So you have a book called Dog Tripping, and I love that title, so I know. let's, let's start with this one. All right, this is by
0: David Rosenfeld. Uh, the hard copy is twenty five ninety nine. It's published by Macmillan, but I know you can get it for less than that on Amazon. And uh, David Rosenfeld, which I didn't know, I'm going to have to look into this, has written and is still writing a mystery series with a main character called Andy Carpenter. Hmm. And the books all feature dogs. And the covers all feature dogs too, another reason why I like them. Ah. And uh so Rosenfeld's a little bit the real life Andy Carpenter, although I don't think uh Andy has the number of dogs Rosenfeld does. <laughs> uh Andy does have a Tara Foundation, which is a rescue group, which Rosenfeld and his wife, Debbie Myers, also have. Mm -hmm. They got involved in rescue when they lived out here in Southern California, first um, up in Santa Monica, and then down here in Orange County, where I live. And they worked with one of the Los Angeles city shelters, I believe it was, and they started all of a sudden being the go-to people when there was a dog that no one was going to adopt. Old, sick, seizures, bad legs, blind, deaf, that type of thing, the dogs that just don't show well in shelters and are unlikely to attract interest from The average public adopter. Mm -hmm. And volunteer coordinators or somebody at the shelter would come to them and say, Do you think you could take Fido? Because he doesn't have a prayer here and he's going to be euthanized. (laughs) And of course
1: they would. Sure. And they went (laughs) Who wouldn't under those circumstances Adopt this dog or we're going to have to euthanize (laughs) it? Well, that
0: got them from one dog to two to three to 25. Wow. Now, when they were living down here in Orange County, they uh, wound up with 25 dogs and a second home in Maine that they had purchased as a retirement place. Mm. When Debbie decided to retire from her job as an executive with Taco Bell, they decided it was time to move to their Maine location. So they were faced with the tremendous job of transporting 25 dogs from Southern California to the far northeast corner of the continental U.S. in Maine. Wow. And of course, airfare was prohibitive. Just buying the crates to put the animals on planes was prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Tracking the animals, how do you fly 25 dogs all at once to a location and make sure they all get there safely? What a job. <laughs> they didn't like the idea of carpooling and transporting the dogs you know on legs across the country because then they had to depend on strangers to get these dogs out of cars, get them potted, get them back in the cars, and, again, have all 25 arrive safely. Mm -hmm. So after much research and hemming and hawing and sort of procrastinating, which Dave gives the impression he's pretty good at in the book,
2: (laughs) (laughs) they decided
0: with the help of 11 volunteers, many of whom they had never met before, some of whom Dave met on book signings around the country for his Andy Carpenter novels, Uh-huh. They decided to rent three RVs and caravan across the country. Wow! They created a portable dog park that they took with them. That was fencing that they bought at Home Depot, and uh, they had quite the adventures. And I'm going to let readers discover those for themselves because really, Rosenfeld tells it better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite. It's it's a very poignant. And also very funny story, and the great thing about it is um, we get to learn about all the dogs because you'll have chapters that focus on a dog and how the dog came to them and the dog's personality and how the dog fits in. And what's really amazing is, and I think this is sometimes some of that ignorance is bliss thing, if you believe it, it will happen. Mm -hmm. They never have a problem with all these dogs. (laughs) They bring a new one in, and it just fits in. Wow. And I think sometimes when you have that mentality then you would give off a mentality, a, a feeling of confidence and ease and relaxation to the dogs, whereas those of us who know more than the average person about dog behavior and the potential for things mm-hmm. are always on the lookout for what's going to happen. I have to watch for body signals. I have to watch all the and language so and what's going on. all that
1: stress <laughs> transfers over <laughs> to the dogs, and then it does happen. <laughs> it does.
0: The other thing that might help is, the breeds they tend to rescue, their big thing is goldens, and while we know that you know there are some goldens out there that have been very badly bred and unsocialized, for the most part it's a pretty easygoing breed. That's
1: for sure.
0: And they have some Berneses and bernese mixes, and that's also another pretty easygoing breed. They have at least one mastiff, Another very easygoing breed, if it's well-socialized. So I think they've lucked out on that end, too. But really, who cares what kind of dogs they are? I think it's neat that these people found each other. You know, I'm sitting here reading this book going, dang, I should have met this man and married him. (laughs) (laughs)
1: this is what I need (laughs) oh boy well Marianne I'm sorry we only had time to talk about one book today so you'll have to save the other two for next month when you come back and give us another segment on book reviews and I will do that definitely well we need to take our final break in the morning but don't go away because we'll be right back with Pet Place news and events here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM (laughs) Back on the Pet Place Radio Show, I'm Marie Hewlett and it's time for Pet Place news and events. Are you wondering what to do this weekend? Well, today and tomorrow, Orange County Pet Days is taking place at the Orange County Fairgrounds in the Marketplace. There will be a pet fair with adoptable pets, pet products, pet wellness information and neuter information, training tips, animal welfare education, guest speakers and demonstrations, and of course my favorite, face painting. It's all around family fun, and guess what? You'll receive free admission with two cans or one unopened bag of dog or cat food. Please, no expired food and, I'm sorry, but no personal pets are permitted on the grounds of the Orange County Marketplace. For more information, call 949-241-9625 or email ocpetdays at yahoo.com. And don't forget to check out our website at www.petplace.org to send us your comments or suggestions for the show and see what other fun animal-related activities there are on the Pet Place calendar. Well, that's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend with more of the Pet Place here on KJAZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewitt. Please spare new to your pets and have a wonderful day.